body is pretty amazing because the human body or the mouse or the dog or the chicken, they can develop antibodies that can recognize almost anything. When my son was growing up, he used to wear costumes every single day to the store, to the park. It didn't matter. He was all about being a superhero, fighting the bad guys. Fighting the bad guys of breast cancer is a much harder job than defending the chocolate frosted donut from a friend. Scientists have developed a few superheroes of their own, and it turns out we already have a lot of the weapons we need. I'm Suzanne Stone, and this is the More Than Pink podcast. Dr. Keith Knudsen spends his days in the labs of the Mayo Clinic, studying immunology and immunotherapy of breast and ovarian cancers. He's the director of the Discovery and Translation Labs Cancer Research Center and the director of the Mayo Clinic Cancer Center's Cancer Immunology and Immunotherapy Program. You know, maybe about 125 years ago when we didn't know, you know, anything about what a tumor was, uh, there was a there was, you know, a tendency to believe that, you know, they were caused by a microorganism and they were the same regardless of where they were in the body. But, you know, as we've continued to study these over the decades, we, you know, have identified that individual organs can give rise to tumors like the liver and the lung and the breast is certainly one of those. And as you know, time moved forward and, re- and research continued and our understanding of uh, breast cancer uh, started to mature, we realized that there was different subsets of breast cancers as well. And so this process continues. So this is, you know, not a new process. It's continued in the idea that we're, you know, getting more and more sophisticated at determining the different types of cancers and the different subtypes of cancers. Uh, in breast cancer, there are three different types that, and there's probably more different types. And, you know, as we become more sophisticated in our strategies for, you know, um, subcategorizing them, we can, you know, uh, probably expand out beyond three. But at least in the clinic, we think of three different subtypes of breast cancer. HER2 new positive breast cancer as being one of those, which is about 20%. And estrogen receptor, progesterone receptor positive breast cancer, uh, which represents the vast majority, um, you know, probably about 65 or 70%. And then the rest of them, the other, you know, 15, 20%, depending on where your numbers are at, is what we call triple negative. So they don't have HER2 new, or they don't have, and they don't have estrogen receptor or progesterone receptor. And so they fall in this classification. But, you know, and, and we treat those as individual diseases. And so HER2 is treated differently than ERPR positive or estrogen receptor, progesterone receptor positive, or TNBC as we like to call it, or triple negative breast cancer, are all treated differently. And the latest and greatest equipment that we have and technologies that we have seem to indicate that within each of these subsets, there's also, you know, unique subsets in and of themselves that could potentially lead to, you know, better ways of treating uh, breast cancer and the different subtypes. So it sounds like not only are these tumors having their own personalities, um, so to speak, they, you can, you can perhaps personalize therapy depending upon 
what what type of tumor and and all the subsets in which it's presenting. That's right. And so we know for let's just take her two new positive breast cancer as an example. As I had mentioned, it's about twenty percent, and that is somewhat variable. It just all depends where in the world you go. In the U.S., it's about fifteen to to twenty percent, and this molecule, HER2 new, it's a protein, was detected on the cancer uh, many, many years ago, and it uh, was then subsequently identified as a subset of breast cancers based on the expression of this molecule, HER2 new. And this led to the development of a specific uh, targeted therapy, as we like to call it, that targets specifically HER2 new. And these hertinu targeted therapies, and one of them, you know, is quite familiar to the uh, you know breast cancer patient advocate and scientific community is um, is Herceptin, which or trastuzumab as it's called by its generic name. And uh, Herceptin targets specifically the hertinu subset, and we wouldn't think about trying it in the other. Uh, tumor types, although it has been tried in small clinical trials, doesn't seem to have any impact. And so as we now have three subsets, we learn about each of these subsets, we develop therapies based on each of these subsets, and now we know that there is a group of HER2 new positive tumors that don't really respond well to Herceptin. And so we study those and we try to identify the mechanism but that leads to further expansion of our understanding of the different subsets. And so that helps us personalize how we approach therapy. But you have to have a therapy for all these. So individuals that, you know, uh, fall into the her 2 new uh, category are all going to be treated with the same thing until we come up with something better that treats, you know, a subset of those better than Herceptin. Uh, they're going to be treated with uh So when you talk about a therapy, help us understand what you mean by that. When, when I think about therapy, I think about um, maybe physical therapy where my shoulder hurts and I'm doing some sort of an exercise. Right. Um, so when you talk about targeted therapy and Herceptin, is this what, what types of how, what's actually happening to the That's tumor? Right. Yeah. So, you know, basically how we treat uh, cancer is a, a multifaceted therapeutic approach. And breast cancer is typically treated with surgery, so surgical therapy, uh, also radiation therapy, and then, um, you know, some kind of uh, uh, medicinal-based therapy. And the traditional uh, medicinal-based therapies are chemotherapy. But uh, in recent times, we've developed what are called targeted therapies. So as opposed to chemotherapy, which just kills a growing tumor cell, targeted therapies target specific molecules that we know to be present on those, those tumor cells. And so this protein HER2 new is on the surface of the tumor cell and can be targeted with Herceptin, uh, whereas the chemotherapy doesn't really have any targeting capabilities. It just goes into the cell. And that's 
really what leads to the complications of treatment because there's other cells in your body that grow. And so if you treat with a chemotherapy, I mean, all of us have, you know, probably from one time or the other seen individuals treated with chemotherapy, they lose their hair, or oftentimes they, you know, have other health problems as a result of killing off normal healthy cells that are growing too. So when we talk about the targeted therapy, we, target, we talk about a treatment that specifically targets the tumor and not non-specifically like chemotherapies do. Which sounds like it would be advantageous for many reasons, many health reasons. The, that's right. That's right. And so what we found is that we increase our ability to target the tumor specifically without, you know, uh, targeting other, without non-specifically targeting other tissues that these individuals, you know, have better outcomes because we know that a lot of the morbidity that is associated with having cancer is due not just to having the cancer, but due to the treatments that you have to go through. Uh, And some of them can be quite permanent. So tell us a little bit more about some of these therapies. So Herceptin, you mentioned. Uh, what, What type of a drug is that, and how are you developing it in the lab? Right. And so... Uh, the uh, so Herceptin is what's called a monoclonal antibody, and monoclonal antibodies are a uh, an engineered form of normal healthy proteins that you have in your body called antibodies. Everybody has antibodies, and everybody makes antibodies against microbes like measles. When you get the vaccine, you make an antibody against measles or mumps or rubella or tetanus or anything like that. And so many, many years ago, an antibody that targeted specifically this HER2 new molecule on the subset of breast cancer cells was identified. And then it was through, you know, modern genetic cloning technologies, it was engineered so that it could be produced in uh, essentially in a culture dish. And so uh, it's something that was derived from a living organism. In this case, that antibody was derived from a mouse, and then ultimately it was re-engineered so that it would survive in a human, the antibody. And so they're proteins is what they are. They're, they're complex proteins that your body's immune system produces, these antibodies. And they can, on part of that protein, you know, from a geographical perspective on, let's just say on, you know, just to make it easier to think about it, on the north end of the protein, there is regions that specifically bind to her 2 new, but not to any other protein. And so uh, that gives it the capability of binding specifically to the HER2 new molecule without touching any other, you know, molecule or, or um, target within the cell that would be nonspecific. So it's really almost revolutionary in, that, in the fact that you, you do have such a narrow target to just this protein and that you get this immune response. That's right. That's right. 
and and you know that's the power of your your body's immune system is that uh, it has the, it's like you know the the reality. I mean, there's different kinds of drugs that are being developed. Many of the biologics that are being developed these days, which are complex molecules that are made in like cell culture dishes by living organisms like cells or bacteria or yeast or something like that. Many of them are indeed antibodies that have been identified. Uh, and your body's pretty amazing because you, uh, the human body or, you know, the mouse or the dog or the chicken, they can, they can uh, develop antibodies that can recognize almost anything. And they're very specific for these things, too. And so, really, that's the rationale for vaccination. So if you get vaccinated against measles, think about it like this, you're going to develop antibodies because of that vaccination specifically to measles. That measles, that, those measles antibodies aren't going to protect you from mumps. They aren't going to protect you from the flu. And that's the power of that, you know, of the immune system. And so the biologics that we develop really are harnessing the power of what we know about the immune system and allowing us to make very specific, very targeted approaches to treating cancer. You're actually employing our own bodies to fight it off. That's right. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, we, we, we use a lot of tricks um, uh, to make that happen. So, so for example, uh, one of the Herceptin is a, is a really good example. It was an antibody that we found in, in the mouse. Now, if you inject a mouse antibody into the human, your, your, your human immune system will reject that. And so what we had to do is we had to um, kind of recreate it so that it made it look more human. And so um, your body's immune system can, can make it, but if we want to use it therapeutically and put it in bottles and everything, typically what we do is we go through the same process, but we try to make it in a mouse. Um, and that way we can isolate the cells from the mouse and we can then take those through a production process outside of a normal body and perhaps in culture dishes in cells or something like that, and we can produce large quantities of whatever it is, this antibody that you want to infuse. And that's what they do with Herceptin or any of the monoclonal antibodies that have been developed for treating cancer is, um, you know, using me methods outside of the body to generate high levels of them and then put them in, in bottles for selling. So this is very different than, say, a chemical drug or a drug that right. doesn't come from a mouse. That's right. Or an antibody. That's right. Yeah. So chemical drugs, if you're thinking of, you know, that there's common drugs that we use all the time. One is aspirin. Others, ibuprofen. Um, you know, all of these are tend to be very smaller. You know, much smaller in comparison to biologics. They are much smaller, and they can be synthesized without going into a living organism. What I mean by living organism is a cell. So, you know, for example, as I had mentioned previously, Herceptin is produced in cells, and then it's, it's produced into the cell culture, and then we purify it from the cell culture. Whereas something like aspirin or ibuprofen or any of these, you know, chemical-type molecules they're made synthetically through 
chemical processes that don't require living organisms. And so that's what really is the key difference between a biologic and just a regular drug that you would take, um, you know, for pain or something like that. Sounds like it's also going to be, well, a lot more labor-intensive, which would, I assume, make one of the reasons why it's a lot more expensive. That's right. That's right. So the typically, uh, the not only do we spend, you know, you know, tens, hundreds of millions of dollars in developing the drugs, uh, we also have to spend a large amount of money in, you know, manufacturing these drugs uh, because it goes beyond just simple chemical synthesis. And when you talk about getting the drugs to a big number of people, such as the United States, you have to have these big production platforms, and they can become very expensive. And then, whereas in chemical synthesis facilities, you, you know, can really control what's in the mixture and you can control what comes out of the mixture. Oftentimes in these biologic systems in which you, you develop the or grow the antibodies up in, in living cells, there's a lot of other things in those cells and in the media along with it because cells produce a lot of things. And so there's strategies that have to be employed to purify out what you want, and those can be costly as well. So what is the next step in, in biologic medicine? So one of the issues, of course, with the, uh, the use and the increased use and implementation of biologics, of course, of course is the, the cost. Uh, biologics are, you know, tend to be very large molecules that need to be uh, produced in, in living systems such as cells, and uh, that requires a, a great uh, amount of... Uh, uh, processes uh, and uh, structure that uh, are oftentimes very uh, expensive. And so as a result, the increased use of biologics will likely mean the uh, increased uh, cost of the delivering medicines for the treatment of cancer and other diseases as well. What's going to offset that is uh, the increasing use will lead to increasing development of infrastructure that you know, ultimately will drive down prices because you're going to have manufacturing companies that are going to compete uh, for each other. And uh, in addition to that, there is also, of course, uh, biosimilars. And so patents you know, last anywhere between 14 and 20 years, after which somebody else can come in and, you know, essentially make this, you know, a very similar uh, drug. Uh, trastuzumab or Herceptin is a, a great story uh, with respect to, you know, patent protection and the development of biosimilars. Of course, uh, a couple of decades ago, that drug, uh, Herceptin, which is a monoclonal antibody that is used to treat um, patients with uh, HER2 new positive breast cancer was uh, developed and exclusively owned by Genentech uh, over the past couple of decades. Uh, within the last several years, uh, considering that the uh, patent is going to expire, there's been other companies that have been interested in getting into uh, treating HER2 new positive disease with the same 
uh, or a very similar antibody. And uh, that's resulted in the development of biosimilars and manufacturing of uh, biosimilars. The patent protection for Herceptin is going to expire uh, this year. And uh, as a result, there are currently uh, four um, and, and you know, possibly more uh, in, the, in the pipeline uh, biosimilars that uh, uh, of Herceptin or Trastuzumab that are going to be approved for those are approved now um, and ready to be used when patent protection for Herceptin expires. And that's going to drive down costs. Now, the, the uh, cost of manufacturing biologics is still going to remain high. And essentially, uh, you know, every time a company is comes on board or online that provides a biosimilar, which is approved by the FDA, and you know, the hope is that they get into more mainstream use, then that's going to drive down prices. And so that's not going to be something that's going to be, you know, seen directly by the patients, because obviously these are, you know, drugs that tend to be administered administered by uh, the physicians, but what it's going to do is it's going to result in lowering the cost, a savings of multiple billions of dollars, and that's going to show up on the bottom line for, you know, insurance premiums and insurance companies and for, you know, co-pays and out-of-pocket expenses for uh, patients. So uh, certainly uh, that will uh, work to the advantage of uh, lowering the price uh, for uh, biologics and so uh, you know there's there's also many other uh, biologics that uh, uh, for other diseases in which biosimilars are uh, also being developed so biosimilars of course um, as the name uh, suggests are not the same as the drug uh, for example Herceptin which is a long uh, you know protein based biologic uh, has uh, um, you know just a remarkable complexity and it's made in a biologic system and so when a company wants to produce a biosimilar uh, the it's actually just how it sounds it's a biosimilar really a key component of manufacturing and you know work up to the approval of biosimilars is demonstrating you know what the differences are that they're minor differences and that you know overall the drug behaves you know very similar to the reference drug um, you know in in the case of our discussion which is of course trastuzumab um, going to be you know used for either preventing relapse in patients with HER2 positive breast cancer or being used to treat shrink tumors in patients with HER2 uh, positive uh, metastatic uh, breast cancer. When it comes to fighting breast cancer, using our own bodies to destroy the cancer growing inside is the mission of the biologic weapons like Herceptin. Today's scientists are developing cancer-fighting drugs that employ our own body's superpowers to fight it. Now that's one superhero movie I can't wait to see the sequel to. A big thank you to Amgen Oncology and Merck for making this podcast possible. We record our podcast at iHeartMedia Studios on South Congress in Austin, Texas. You know we couldn't do it without you. 
Thanks, Mike, our studio technician, for putting all of the pieces together and making it sound so great. And thanks to the Komen team who makes everything happen behind the scenes. And mostly to our donors who save lives every day by investing in the work we do. Thanks for listening. And until next time, always be more than pink. <laughs>